Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's review-only episode of the show, I'll be joined by special guests Mercy Quay and Preston Wilson for a review of Get Out, a new horror satire from director Jordan Peele that follows a young black man from New York City on a terrifying first visit to his white girlfriend's family home in the suburbs. Uh, we'll talk about Get Out as, as horror and social commentary, representations of violence and fear in the suburbs, and how this movie, like some of the best Keen Peele sketches, manages to talk about race in America in ways that are hilarious, upsetting, absurd, and all too insightful. Uh, but first, I want to extend a very special welcome to my two guests who were kind of dancing to the theme song earlier on. I'll take that <laughs> as a point of pride. Uh, Mercy Quay and Preston Wilson. Mercy is the founder, organizer of the Narrative Project in New Haven and Connecticut's managing director of external affairs for Educators for Excellence. And Preston is a producer and radio show host at Ugly Radio, which has a studio on Chapel Street just a few blocks away. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mercy and Preston. It is a Thanks pleasure to have me. you here. Thank you for having me, Tom. All right. So now for the not too convoluted <laughs> windup. Uh, in Get Out, Daniel Kaluuya plays Chris a sensitive young photographer who's on his way to meet his girlfriend's parents for the first time. He's black, she's white, and her family lives in a stately rural suburb outside of New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris is apprehensive, to say the least, about the visit, particularly because his girlfriend Rose, played by Allison Williams, has not yet told her parents ahead of time that her new boyfriend is black. But she's earnest and affectionate and obliviously confident in the clumsy non-racism of her family, and so Chris resigns to go with her, adopting this weary smile that we see so often over the course of the movie that says like so much in just a glance. It's like, <laughs> this is going to be uncomfortable and probably dangerous, but I've been through worse and I can survive this too. So right. needless to say, that smile's right. The visit is uncomfortable. It is extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, and every worst fear about a white suburban family's treatment of a visiting black boyfriend <laughs> is confirmed. And then some... And then some more. Uh, so, Mercy, as you watched, uh, <laughs> as you watched Chris try to survive the humiliation and violence of the suburbs, did you find yourself cringing with discomfort and fear and the occasional nervous laugh, or were you like Chris during one of the movie's hypnosis scenes, wide-eyed and terrified, unable to turn away, no matter how scared? Yes. <laughs> yes to all. Right? Just, yes, yes to everything. Um, so I. So I. In order to kind of kick this off, I need your listeners to know a little bit about me and my relationship. And I'm going to ask you to get right up on the mic if you oh, could. Oh, sure, be yeah, absolutely. Right. So oh, I, I need you. your listeners to know a little bit about me and my relationship. I'm in an interracial uh, relationship. My boyfriend okay. is from Wyoming. Wow, that's <laughs> even worse. <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was I was uh, uh, entranced. I was enthralled. I was entangled. Um, but I was also um, scared out of my mind, but not of, not really about. So the the movie was just too real, right? It it, it mirrored um, the reality of a lot of black people too closely, and that's the real horror of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, Preston, but that right. was the real horror of it for me. Like that feeling of. Yeah, every single nothing. Nothing here is exaggerated the way that a typical Kim Peel skit could be. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, they managed to sort of entangle race and in into in all of their skits, but nothing was in, in exaggerated the no. way their skits are. No. It was just it, believable. Mm -hmm. It was plausible, and it was mm -hmm. authentic. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting that you kick off by saying that your boyfriend and fiance is from Wyoming, as opposed to oh, that, I should start as opposed to that he's that white. Out. But I mean, as, as opposed to as opposed to identifying him as white, yeah. initially. And I think that um, that's one of you know Jordan Peele in a few interviews around this movie has said that he really wanted to communicate the fear that Black people experience when yep. going to the suburbs, yeah. and to to kick off by starting to talk about place as opposed to about skin complexion. Yeah. It gets at how like intricately and like inextricably tied those two things are right this Absolutely. is a white space mm -hmm. but the space is as important as like the complexion of the people there right and you know i don't care that he's white i care that he's from wyoming it's <laughs> it's, it's more scary that's the gap <laughs> exactly right? it's the scarier being in wyoming than it is being with him. yeah uh you know, Preston, what there yes. were a lot of like movies that I was thinking about while watching uh, Get Out, mm -hmm. but one from twenty sixteen that was kind of at the front of my mind right. was Hidden Figures, oddly oh, enough. Okay. And that's in, because when I was talking with uh when we reviewed that on the show, right. I had uh Bab Thrall's Ivy on and she was talking about how how Hidden Figures got microaggressions just right on mm -hmm. and that it shows how 
you know, women, uh, white people talk to black people in just a variety of like demeaning and humiliating ways that they're right. not even aware of. Mm -hmm. But when you demand that a black person call you by, you know, your last name, but you refer to them as girl or by their first name, you know, yep. there's this power yep. play that's, that's constantly going on. What reminded me, you know, why that was in my mind during Get Out is that there's such a smooth transition between the microaggressions that right. we see. They're like talking about how, you know, the the family dad's, you know, father never got over losing to Jesse Owens in a race or how, you know, oh, you're I black. That was cool. You may be interested cool in like yeah. talking about the state of black America. There are mm -hmm. all these like little needling things that are uncomfortable. But what's different about this movie is that we see like the violence that underlies all of that stuff, right? We it's do. not just it's not just like constantly needling away. There's actually some some vicious stuff that's motivating it and that gets shown on the screen. So did you like you, when you were saying this movie got it right? Like with Mercy saying, like this got right. all of that uncomfortable stuff right. Uh, tell me about that transition from like the needling micro stuff to like, oh my god, this is a horror movie stuff. It's crazy because it's so based on just real life. This is that's the most scariest part about the film to me. Um, just like the, when the when the father was just saying constantly, oh, I, I would vote for, for Barack Obama third time. <laughs> 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 it was like it was one of those. Um, he really. I don't really know how to say because I'm going too fast, but um, it's one of the things when like the white parents wants to try for them to like you so much, they always say like all these little gestures, all these little hidden stuff like "What's up?" and "Hey, man." And um, I think there was like this scene when they were together meeting for the first time. It's like, how long did this thing go along? And this thing, <laughs> yeah, this thing. And then like he just like paused for a second. And what I also loved about it was the daughter, how defensive she was to her boyfriend. And it really showed like a different side of the interracial relationship from the white person side. And you know, so that's what I really loved about the whole entire film because it was all based on real life segments. And just like the horror stuff they were doing way back then in slavery, they were doing stuff to black people back in the day. So they really put in today's generation just everything all together. It was, it was greatly, great, greatly great put together. That's what I love about it. I mean, I sort of feel so. Yes, I think that there were times where she was strategically coming to his defense. Um, mm. what seemed inauthentic to me about it, um, and I'm not going to get into the spoiler section just yet, right? And and to your viewers <laughs> just yet. Um, but I think what seemed inauthentic to me about it is because again, I could I could compare that to my life right. and understand what real defense of your partner looks like when you mm. see them in a in a uncomfortable um, or rather just sitting in their discomfort in what should be your space, right? right. So. So what that defense looks like in real life is kind it right you we can leave as soon as you're ready mm -hmm. right not a oh you're you're leaving without me right I, you know kind of questioning exactly. the relationship in that moment um so for me I was like there, there's something kind of fishy about this <laughs> so one one of uh, the hallmarks of a great horror movie is it's right. like mastery of foreshadowing right it's yep. able mm -hmm. to establish certain symbols or certain interactions that that put the the viewer on edge. Like, you know that these are going to come back. You know if a gun is shown in Act 1, you know that it's going to go off in, like, Act 3. Yep. One of the, you know, the most prominent, I think, effective bits of foreshadowing in Get Out is in an early scene when the couple is driving up to the suburbs and they hit a deer. And of course, our, our main character contemplates just the fragility and vulnerability of this thing that's just mm -hmm. been massacred. But also the, the cops ask for the young black man's license even though he wasn't driving and the white woman sticks up for him and yeah. what i found so fascinating about that interaction was not just like the impertinence that the you know white woman was talking to the cops with and how of course like this you know if if a, if the black man was talking to the cops like this it would not have ended in the mm -hmm. same way mm -hmm. but his response in the car like as they get back in the car to head to the family is that was so hot but his face doesn't say that. His no. face says, mm. I cannot believe you just put me in danger right. by talking right. like that. Uh, and also uh, just a recognition of how oblivious she is of her privilege. Um, oh, and that's repeated throughout the film, right? There's yeah. this moment where, you know, at the end of their first night um, in uh, her parents' home, she's just astonished by all of the microaggressions her mm -hmm. family has uh, at that point enacted against um, Chris. And you know, it, it pans back and forth. You know, she's going, I just can't believe that. How are they any different from that cop? And Chris is like, yep. 
<laughs> Me either. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and the line that, that comes back later in the movie too is, I told you so. Yeah. Right? Yep. And that's kind of, you know, this if this mm. title, Get Out, is a reference to that Eddie Murphy bit about how mm. if black mm-hmm. people were in a horror movie and they heard like a ghost whispering Get Out, they'd immediately get right. out of there. They wouldn't be like investigating the basement, right? <laughs> Do, were you kind of at that moment were you shouting at Chris? You should know the rules. Have you not heard this? <laughs> so, I, so, Preston, you can, you can speak for yourself a little bit, but yeah. there was a moment in mm-hmm. this film where I was like, I'm so happy, and, and I can call him Jordan because we're on first name basis, of course. Um, right. I'm so happy Jordan, Jordan Peele, that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Director. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, put this piece in and it's the scene where the doors open yeah. and black people talk about this all the time. We're like, you're in the, you're in the theater and you know, everybody, especially if it's a, a horror film or if it's, I mean, if there's a good amount of black people in that theater, those black people in that room will yell at their screen and tell that guy exactly like shout directions, right? Don't go in there. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> there was a moment. So throughout the film, you don't see anything like that. There's not an opportunity for us to interact no. that way Mm-mm. and, you know, yell out directions to to help save Chris. Right. But there was there was just the one. And do you know the moment? Mm, was it the point where like at the very like when he realizes stuff, he packs up all his things. Yes, about to get right out. before that, the yeah. door is open. Mm-hmm. That door is open, and he looks over at the door. He's like, and the ominous music comes on. And in the theater, everyone's like, "Don't go in there!" <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, "That's not for you. Don't go in there." And then he decides to go in there, and I could hear like that. That was something straight out of a Jordan Peele. It was um, skit, yeah. But you know what that I I feel like that same response from the audience happened when he goes out much earlier in the movie to smoke a cigarette in the woods. And this is like a first kind of terrifying encounter with some of the few black people who are on these suburban like Mm -hmm. stately grounds, Mm -hmm. the help. Uh, and and it is a moment of terror. I mean, anytime anyone's like crawling through the woods, uh, trying right. to find a good place to smoke, you know mm-hmm. that something bad is going to take place. But Preston, this this movie is like steeply indebted to stuff uh, uh, movies like The Stepford Wives and right. the Rosemary mm-hmm. Baby, Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. where a central female character is kind of hoodwinked into submitting to this violent and oppressive patriarchy where she's kind of used for her body right. and all of a sudden she's like a vehicle for whatever it is that they're looking to accomplish and it's almost always insidious and like uh, demonic and stuff. But here, our main character, our vulnerable character is a guy. And I wonder how you, like, how how'd you respond to that kind of somewhat inversion of gender roles, not just racial roles in this movie, but putting, you know, a man is the most vulnerable person in this movie uh, do you feel like he was he was playing out that uh, that kind of, you know, Fay Ray, like wriggling in the hand of King Kong thing where it's like <laughs> this is the, you know, the woman who needs to be rescued uh, in like classic Hollywood horror flicks or or was there like were they pl- was do you think Get Out was playing at all with his masculinity and how that affected like the danger that he found himself in? I think they were playing with his masculinity, but I also think they were playing with his intelligence, too. And it was really a thinking man's horror movie when you think about it coming out because it was like, what would you do in a situation like that? And I think one of the best things I loved about it um, was when he blocked the hypnotism, when he took like the cotton balls right off the out the chair and put it in his ear so he won't get blocked off. And that's when he decided to defend himself against the brother, which I thought was one of the craziest villains I ever saw in a horror movie. He he (laughs) He was insane. And... I just, I just love that part of it, and you just saw pretty much from a man's perspective what he, what he would do. It wasn't really just based off the female. And that's what I loved about it. And he, I mean, the there's a wonderful friend character in this. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't write down his he's name. He's my favorite character. I'm, I'm yeah. blanking out. But he's <laughs> the guy who worked, worked for the TSA. He had like a total of twenty lines, but he was my. Favorite. <laughs> he worked he for the TSA, and his big, you know, recurring bit is that, and that is actually a laugh line a lot. Is yeah. that he has been, and all these other black men who have disappeared in the suburb, they're victims of sex slavery, right? And yeah. people like kind of laugh and guffaw, and even the cops that he goes to with that, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is ridiculous." But oddly enough. Sex slavery is not like too far from what is actually happening in the suburb, and like yeah. Mercy, the in there's such dwelling upon uh, the body of this man, of like the physical capabilities and the genetic like potential and prowess, uh, and there's a lot of like, if not explicit, like if there's there's no explicit sex in the movie, but there's certainly a lot of hinting of this guy, you know, will service this white community through his like uh, his, his physical yeah. capacity. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, first, I, 
before I get to the question, I do want to answer kind of like, so so I don't think this film, and this is sort of something that we touched on in our conversation um, after the film. So the narrative project held a small conversation. It was probably like 20 of us in Abit's pizza downtown having a conversation. It was a, it was a debrief of the movie. And something that came up was, could this have worked if it was a black woman and a white man? Right. And hmm. for a lot of reasons, it couldn't have. And so to your point about how the main character was a black man and he, you know, he was a man. Right. The most vulnerable character in the film was a man. I think that is analogous to the fact right. that black men are in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, I'm biased on this one. I think hmm. black women are the most disrespected <laughs> in America. But I think hmm. that black men are are vulnerable. I think that black women can sometimes uh, hide behind femininity, but I don't think black men ever get that for forgiveness. Right. Right. Um, so there's something about about uh, sort of dismantling the idea of like a strong black man and putting him in one of the most vulnerable situations ever. Also, for the storyline later on, I don't know that a black woman would have been able to physically overpower the situation that he gets into later on in the film. Hmm. And so to your point, Great way to put um, it. Uh, what was your point? Well, I, actually, I, well, I was talking about how I mean, traditionally in in horror movies, in a you know, genre that is it's kind of its bread and butter is the like sexual exploitation of mm-hmm. women. You know, yeah. it's it's both punishing people for having like premarital sex, but also reveling in. I mean, that's what like the exploitation mm-hmm. like genre mm-hmm. films all about. It's like you both have your cake and eat it too. You get to see the sex, and you also get to condemn those who are partaking right. in it. And I found here we had it was kind of a, a a gender role reversal where we had a man in that vulnerable spot. But mm. getting getting at your uh, comment about how may it wouldn't have worked as a. Um, uh, a black woman and a white man. I also think that this movie speaks to uh, the fears of this white community. I think sure. foremost at you know at the front of the mind of what do the white suburbs fear the most? It's like the threat of the black man. Mm-hmm. And I think that putting a black man right at the center of the story, and we see a few. I mean, Lakeith Stanfield's performance and his character as you know the the boyfriend who immediately preceded Chris. Uh, and we kind of open with him, right? Mm-hmm. We get to see him walking through the suburbs. And there, there are a number of kind of black men who are who fall victims to the suburbs. Uh, could we could we riff on on just the suburbs in this movie for a second? Because <laughs> yeah. I think it's such course, an interesting. It's my favorite thing to do. Description of place. <laughs> um, uh, Preston. Yeah. The movie opens with uh, a young black man walking alone through mm-hmm. this like densely, uh, almost forested suburban street. And there's like palpable fear in his eyes, in his voice. He's all alone. Mm-hmm. And despite the like placidity of the environment and right. it's, it seems to be calm and quiet. And you know that like this is the, I, the idyllic like American environs that has been in horror movies plenty in the past. True. In Halloween it's and true. Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yeah. uh, what like what did you see in the suburbs here that were, I don't know, either different from horror movies you've seen in the past? Or, or what did you think was like kind of being shown about the suburbs that, that Jordan Peele really wanted to talk about? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, different horror movies I've seen, like Halloween, I Know What You Did Last Summer, the suburbs can be very, very, very scary. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get a sense during that first scene what he was doing, because I would have done the same thing, too. A car oh. just following yep. me, and I'm like, okay, let's just turn around and just go right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when you were saying, Mercy, how... We always want to yell at the screen and say, no, 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 turn around. He actually turned he around. He just did it. Like, he just did it and went, and went away. And I just thought that was brilliant. But the thing about the suburbs is, wow. Um, it, it tells you what people actually really think behind their heads. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it also tells you that you really can't trust anywhere where you are. Because like people, a lot of people suspect the, the suburbs as like this nice have your door open, friendly neighborhood. And that's not really the case. Right. Because a lot of horrible things happen at the suburbs too, in real life too. So you gotta, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know. Like, I think it, you're right it, on. It, it's the second, the second thought. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really scary like where you walk now. I mean, like, let's let's go back like to the time where the guy had like, I think with like kids in the back, like kidnapped them and like did all these horrible things to him. And like, I mean, we can talk about things like the, yeah. you know, the massacre in, in Cheshire. I'm, yeah, we can talk about we that. We can talk, you know, I, and I also think that, you know, for black people, especially mm-hmm. uh, what that first scene was reminiscent of 
at least for me, yeah, um, was you know things like Trayvon Martin, yeah, right, exactly. you know, walking down the street, minding your own business. Like he had a hoodie on too in that scene, right? And so he did, he did. He did. He did. and so you're 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 automatically drawn back to these moments of of, of sheer fear. And I think what the use of the suburbs in this is that you know you're taking something that is by and large to the most to the rest of America, right? Mm. Um, innocuous, right? You, you no. it's it's fairly, you know, it's commonplace. It's safe. You think of sub suburban life as safe. Um, I think as a black person, you think of it as having the potential to be safe, but also having an equal amount of potential to be as physically as physically dangerous, dangerous yeah. to our bodies, exactly. Right, exactly. especially if we are perceived to not belong there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and then you can talk about the violences of redlining and zoning that have mm. always kept black people out of suburbs, right. um, black, brown, low income people out of suburbs and that right. kind of thing. Exactly. Right. And so I, I, I think, I think there are a lot of, um, a lot of settings that Jordan Peele, uh, uses mm-hmm. to invoke sort of these memories or these ideas of things that are utterly terrifying for black people. Mm-hmm. Right. So the suburbs is one, um (laughs) but also the woods the woods the woods too this is another thing that came up in our conversation about how for black people you get this you get this sort of inherited memory of the awful things that happened to you know our grandparents great grandparents Mm -hmm. people um you know black people in the 50s and 40s in the woods right i think that there's a natural fear of woods for most people Mm -hmm. but i think there's this nuanced fear for black people in the woods so not not only is lakeith stanfield's character wearing a hoodie in that opening scene but Mm -hmm. also the way that he is attacked and the way that he's apprehended we don't see his head once he's put in a headlock, right? We just see his feet dangling just mm-hmm. above the ground. Yeah. It is, it's a lynching that happens yeah. on the suburban street, yep. right? And when you draw that visual connection between, you know, Jim Crow era, like actual lynchings mm-hmm. of black bodies to, I would say that you're totally right about the suburbs being an innocuous setting for, you know, white America, but it's even more than innocuous. It's like the ideal setting. Like mm-hmm. it is what mm-hmm. kind of the American white family is supposed to aspire, aspire to. to. And historically what that has meant has been one of racial and economic exclusion. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what redlining is all about, preventing certain people from being able right. to, to live in these areas, to flee the like, you know, the crime ridden, but really just uh, minority, you know, populated and resource deprived right. urban centers mm-hmm. so that these white families can. And that's what I mean, it's so interesting how Stepford Wives gets at a similar fear, but without talking about race at all, which mm-hmm. seems like such a bizarre omission. But a movie from the ni- 1975 about, you know, the sacrifices that men are willing to make, um, you know, to be inflicted on their families in order mm-hmm. to achieve something uh, peaceful and that they're literally killing their wives in order to have the <laughs> idyllic family house here we don't have women and the kind of sexual subjugation of women in the Mm -hmm. suburbs here the conversation's all about like what happens when a previously excluded person is allowed admittance well they're only allowed admittance when they're like killed and controlled yeah jordan (laughs) peele actually made that he made that uh comment he said this is what this movie is his depiction of what happens when you know stepford wives meet guess who's coming to dinner right Right. Great way. Oh, yeah, I like that. Did anyone see I'm Not Your Negro, the new James Baldwin? I did not di- see it, Didn't get a chance. There's, well, chance. there's a lot of great kind of movie dissections that Baldwin goes through. And one is Guess mm. Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, you know, in the mid-60s, it came out in 67, mm. audiences thought for very different reasons that Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was a turning point. A lot of white audiences thought, oh, great, here we have like a interracial couple convincing an older, stubborn white couple that it's <laughs> actually okay to have like, you know, people of different skin complexions in a single relationship. Black audiences saw, okay, clearly, you know, this depiction of appeasement of white stereotypes can go no further. Like, mm. watching, guess, <laughs> watching what Sidney Poitier is subjected to in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, clearly we are not going to let ourselves right. be shown like this any longer. And nothing against it, the actor. Mm. But, you know, in terms of what the movie demands of an interracial couple and that, I, you know, that exceptional Negro stereotype where oh, this guy yeah, has to exactly. be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um let me say that you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHH LP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and we're talking with Mercy Quay and Preston Wilson about Jordan Peele's new movie, Get Out, yeah, a uh, horror satire about interracial relationships. Uh, okay, can we talk about uh, Keen Peele for a minute and maybe of course, what, like where 
how, like how did this come from the mind of Jordan Peele? So, <laughs> so Key and Peele, I think there are like a lot of like threads, but Key and Peele, uh, they had a comedy sketch show for five, six years mm-hmm. that was incredibly popular and almost always dealt with like the absurd absurdity of of race and like painful and hilarious, but always like it's you know finding the, the most ridiculous things in it and saying, yeah, th- this is what most of society believes and we're going to push it to its extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mercy, did you see like a connective tissue between the comedic sketches that you may be familiar with, with Keen Peel and what was happening in Get Out? I mean, I think that, you know, my impression of Jordan Peel stemming from Keen Peel has been that he is a genius. And and I mean I I we're talking yes. about a comedy sketch TV show which say to to equate genius to that I get I get that there's some pause there but I th- I I've always thought he was a genius in this, right? He's taken he's he's dropped an ounce of race into something and made it uncomfortable mm-hmm. but also funny enough that we can keep talking about it, right? Um and to take to take that mind and extend that to the genre of horror, mm-hmm. I think was, I'm, I, I think, well, I mean, everyone agrees, right? It has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think this yeah. is a masterpiece. And um, in the same way that I think white America saw, guess who's coming to dinner as a turning point, right? I think this might be a turning point. Preston and I were talking before yeah, exactly. the show about how, you know, this is, it, it says a lot that we're in a time that sort of beckons Right and calls for this kind of horror film that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So I think it is sort of indicative of the times. But I, I also think if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be someone that can take race and make it. I was going to say palatable, <laughs> paddle, palatable, palatable, yeah. And then I was going to say conversational, uh, right. but just make it uh, digestible to some degree, right? True. Um, I don't know what you think about it, Preston. <laughs> Um, we need a horror movie like this because, um, the majority of horror movies you see has been lacking in my opinion, because like, it, I think I put in the get out in the version of the first Halloween and, uh, mm. the first child's play because you don't really expect a horror movie like to go or a whole different route. And then the whole real life depiction of it, which I really love and it's just great. You know, yeah. and we, we need this. And I think it's perfect for our era right now, especially in this whole Trump era that we're in. Right. <laughs> because it just pushes boundaries. Yeah. And it just and it, and it says a whole lot of what's going in right now. And the whole thing with Jordan Peele being a whole genius about it, it pushes the envelope even more. And we need films like this. It's so, just such a yeah. smart film, I think. So in our conversation, we had um, someone say she couldn't trust that mm-hmm. the white audience members um understood the things that were going on moment Mm. by moment or understood the humor in it and just sort of took it at face value. But I think that this film was so smart and intentional that even if you are, you know, point negative one, I don't know, (laughs) right on the woke scale that you were caught up at every moment so that when you heard the girlfriend complaining about how, you know, racist her family was and she's sort of coming to terms with that, you, also saw mm-hmm. that that was a silly thing to say in that moment. So I think it was intentionally um, developed, and I think everything he did in it was so deliberate and so well done. Mm-hmm. There, one of the the movies that I brought up uh, during my weekly appearance on the Joe Ugly Show on Monday was Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that's one that Jordan Peele's also cited as important for you know realizing Get Out. And Night of the Living Dead by George A. Romero from 1968 is one of the very, very few horror movies from that era that has a black protagonist, one yeah. who is not yeah. humiliated, one who is not exploited for physical... He's just like a legitimately, you know, courageous and and like strong and like, you know, he, he really, he's thoughtful. He's like everything that, you know, the movie hero like archetype is. Mm-hmm. But what Romero does is that you know he shows that ben played by Dwayne jodes survives the zombies he survives all of the like fear and paranoia in that house but what he doesn't survive is at the very end of the movie when all of these you know white vigilantes are Mm -hmm. approaching the house where he's holed up to kill zombies who they think may still be around he gets a bullet in the head in like the last minute of the movie Mm. so you think you know in 1968 romero the day that romero was dropping the film off to his distributors is april 4th 1968 
which is the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, so this is, I mean, to, to see a black man make it this far and then to, to be killed by quote-unquote law enforcement, I think is a very potent commentary on the Times. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you feel like Get Out, I mean, maybe this is where we're kind of veering into spoiler territory, so beware, <laughs> listeners, but right. um, Chris, Chris does not meet the same end that, uh, that Ben in Night of the Living Dead does. No. And I wonder if, Mercy, do you think that where this movie ultimately goes with like Chris's trajectory, is, is that somehow more appropriate for this current like political moment? Or would you have been like just as fine, it's not the right word, but just as expectant of a bullet in the head from you know a police officer at the end yeah. of Get Up? So I think that this movie is less of, I think in some, in some ways it's indicative of the time, it's a commentary of the times, um, but I think this movie, especially that ending, is more um, sort of, you know, suspend your idea of reality for a moment, right? Um, and and let's fantasize of a, a world that could be, um, right? Setting in perfect place, you know, ideal ideal circumstances, this is what could happen. And I say that because, you know, um, as we are approaching the end, I start thinking, who is this movie written for? And who prevails? Because mm. I did not come to this theater to watch a 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> I didn't come to the theater to watch, you know, The Butler. Right. I kind of wanted to watch Django. <laughs> 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 right. And 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 I think there are a lot of moments that are incredibly triggering for black people mm. during the movie. But the moment where it felt like. Uh, Chris's demise was just evident. Mm. You know, I started to sulk a little bit, I, and I started to sink in in my seat. I was just like, "What is? Why did I come here?" <laughs> right? And 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 uh, you know, again, spoiler alert: Chris doesn't meet that uh, similar demise no, um, um, as no, the protagonist in um, Night of Nightmare. Living Dead. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Um, and in that moment, I was just like, "I don't know what's happening here." <laughs> I there there are there are few films that I mm -hmm. think. Black people can identify with and, and leave feeling, if not empowered, at least validated. Exactly. You know? Right. Preston did, I mean, Django Unchained, made by a, a revered contemporary filmmaker, but also an infamous, I think Quentin Tarantino is just like racist. Yes. <laughs> like, yep. he's someone who, yep. I mean, through his, <laughs> like, you know, he is someone yeah. who, his favorite word in the English language is the N-word, yep. and he will yep. drop yeah, it whenever he, possible. And mm -hmm. I think, All the time. I feel like you can feel that difference in, Ugh. even though both of these movies maybe have an arc of mm. revenge fantasy, Django Unchained and Get Out, mm. uh, did you like, <laughs> I mean, this movie is made by a black man, a it black is. director. Mm -hmm. Um did you feel that difference between like how the character is treated in like, I mean, we get to see Chris really stomping on some head. Like this is not, you know, <laughs> no, not, he's not, not like a, it's not all, yeah. you know, he's not a, a peaceful dude who's willing to let, you know, anything just happen and let itself work out. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's willing to take, you know, violence into his hands justifiably. So, and he did. but, but did you feel like, <laughs> is there way. a difference here between how Quentin Tarantino treats, you know, uh, Jamie Foxx's character and how Jordan Peele treats, uh, David, uh, uh, Chris is the character's name. I mean, yeah. the actor's name. Mm. Um, I'm beginning you out the hard questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you but did your he's, like, he's digging uh, deep for you. But like, did you yeah. I don't know. Did you feel that difference? Just like as a watcher, you're thinking, okay, I'm not I, being exploited here. I'm actually like being spoken to. If you put it that way, because like Django was not in my head when I watched this film. Um, I do feel the difference, you know, mm -hmm, cause like mm -hmm. Django is more fantasy to me. Yeah. And this is what would you do in this situation now? And when it comes to Chris, I probably would have done the exact same thing Chris would have done. But isn't it, it isn't it? Uh, yeah. What would you do? Isn't it like a modern comparison of Django? Right. Because Django mm -hmm. is historical fantasy. If you want exactly. to use fantasy. Yeah, exactly. right? Isn't it? What would you do if Django was in 2017? Hmm. You're right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I if think you put it that way, yeah. I, I think if you put it that Quentin way. Tarantino describes yeah. an eagerness to violence in all of his characters. Like they're they're yes. just and he's I mean, one of the benefits or like you kind of get some slack when you set your movie mm -hmm. in like the time of slavery because violence is everywhere. Violence yeah. defines the society. And so exactly. it makes sense the characters are eager in their sadism. But here, like you kind of have to learn that sadism is what defines everything. It's not apparent just right on the face yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. um, well, maybe, I mean, that could be my like white prejudice right there well, watching the movie that I have to figure out 
that everything here is nefarious. I don't go in like with Lakeith Stanfield. I'm not thinking this is inherently dangerous. Yeah, space. I think so. What's interesting about that um, is so I'm I'm kind of all coming to this now, right? Django was placed. I don't I don't remember the date that it was placed in, but yeah. let's say it was pre 1865. Yeah. Let's say it was pre right. That's a safe assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a different time period. That's a different commentary on that time, mm-hmm. right? Jordan Peele's film is about white liberal racism, right? Which hmm. overt racism isn't okay anymore, right? And the understanding that most white people have about racism is the understanding of overt racism. Systematic racism. Exactly. Well, not even systematic. Not, not even systematic. Just, just overt. The idea hmm. of, you know, lynchings and burning crosses, right? Using the N-word, Using the N-word, right? 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 Yeah. Not, not, not systematic, which would be a little bit more covert, mm-hmm. right? Um, so Django, the comparison between Django and Get Out, right, is the idea that in pre-1865, overt racism is okay. So you can use that as a device to further your plot. In 2017, covert racism is going to be your monster. And you have to be a little bit more uh, uh, intentional about how you're, you're, you're portraying that monster, mm. right? And I think... I mean, just comparing it that way, it is a commentary of the time and it's sort of this progression, right? Django can play out the way it does with the mass violence and um, and sort of this revenge plot because, you know, it's it's an equal and opposite reaction. I think Jordan Peele might, might be making a commentary on the fact that it might be it might not be overt racism, but violence to this degree mm-hmm. is an equal and opposite reaction. So going back to to James Baldwin, who in the Fire Next Time says the uh, the like ter- the horrible thing about our times is that the perpetrators of such evil and destruction cannot also lay claim to innocence. Like yep. that is the true crime of 1960s and 1970s America. That white people they both yeah. they in they implement such terror and destruction, but then they also don't want to be hated <laughs> and they yeah. want to think that they're not doing anything wrong. Thirteenth, uh, one of the Oscar-nominated yep. documentaries from last year, based strongly off of Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow. It shows how, you know, watching Lakeith Stanfield be lynched in the suburb, there is a direct line to how, Mm -hmm. you know, black people were treated in the Jim Crow era and slavery. Like that, maybe the setting's a little bit different, but this is still America. And this is like, this is, these are longstanding um, ways of treating black people Mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, The, all right, uh, one other political like relevance thing that I found really interesting was what this movie had to say about conspiracy theories, if anything. (laughs) Preston, I feel like we are in a time of like, uh, of rampant conspiracy theories as like propagated by people at the highest, you know, political levels where there's right. always like some, you know, Illuminati level like cabal that is pulling off the strings. But then also, you know, not just because something's a conspiracy doesn't mean that it's not true. Like Donald Trump and his campaign probably were colluding with the Russians to like over, you know, to, to win the election. But I think that that's also like, uh, unfortunately, an accurate way of describing like the history of black people in America that conspiracies kind of are true. Like there are yeah. conspiracies of power that are working against uh, people rising up above them. Do you feel like this movie was like in the big conspiracy that is revealed? It's I'm kind of always getting back to that question of like, how surprised were you when the conspiracy winds up being true? Like, did you know that it was like always going to this place or is it just like the paranoid mind of someone to think that, uh, you know, all these people are brainwashing black people and, uh, <laughs> and using them for sex slavery or whatever it else it is. <laughs> photography. Or... Um... <laughs> the, two, slavery or photography. the two sins of our age. I like the spectrum. <laughs> I definitely saw it coming. Yeah. Um... <laughs> that photography. No I, one will I, be a photographer. As soon as um, Daniel and his friend Rob were just even talking on the phone during the whole party or whatever they what what they're having uh it was like the auction yeah. slash mm-hmm. cover-up party so we were like know what was going on and just this about a conversation they were talking on the phone when he was looking up on the website about all these people who've been abducted and the mutual friend that they had or so-called like it was it wasn't really a mutual friend it was like an acquaintance that they had so, yeah and that who was abducted like a couple years before and it's it, I, everything just led up and his friend kept on saying sex saves so, <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was the funniest it's so part interesting how film. that's a joke too yeah. right it's a joke but then it's like wait a minute they kind of are sex <laughs> right saves. right it's true i mean and, yeah. and it's it's also sort of interesting that you have your familiar characters you have your comedic relief which is the mm-hmm. friend right and yeah. um 
Jordan Peele uses, uh, well, I thought this is where he was going. When we meet the blind character, Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, you're going to really go there. That the only person with any ounce of, you know, humanity (laughs) is going to be the blind guy. Wow, that's that's (laughs) The blind photographer. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's that's really simple and I guess also beautiful. (laughs) Okay, Jordan, I'm trying to follow you. And then he he proved me, right, that he was a genius all along, Mm -hmm. right? there, there are simple devices here, but the, but the the genius of it is that he twists it all up. At he the does, end. and you know what that? Definitely I does. mean, to me, what that says is that Jordan Peele's like correctly assessing that racism has yep. nothing to do with skin color. Yep. Mm-hmm. it's everything to do with power. Like when we talk about rape, it has nothing to do with sex. Exactly, it has everything, everything to do with power. And it's power. so you know mm-hmm. the the Stepford Wives. You know it it builds to like the exact same moment as Get Out, and at one, when our protagonist realizes that she's about to be kind of killed and replaced by a robot, she says to the man who's like orchestrating this whole thing, why? Why do you do this to women? And the guy says, because huh, we can. And I feel like the exact wow. same response happens in Get Out, right? Remember mm. when yeah. Chris is at like the height of brainwashing and he says, why are you doing this to black people? The answer's kind of a shrug. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we can. <laughs> and- oh, I. this is what stuck with me. With your... Uh, natural given um, abilities and our determination we can and then he goes mm-hmm. on to say something like we can we can you imagine what we can do yeah right which yeah. is this crazy thing it's that, all about power our determination yeah that is <laughs> creepy yeah <laughs> that and, was the creepiest thing in the whole entire movie for me because it was like a promotional spot of joining like a family you didn't want to join in the first place it was, and, it yeah. was so strange which is i mean mm-hmm. And for me, it goes back to the idea. I mean, and, and the idea of white feminism was sort of mm-hmm. humming throughout this film as well. And it made me, it forced me to uh, go back into thinking about yeah. uh, Taylor Swift and Kanye West, right? Mm-hmm. And all the think pieces that came out around that. The white woman is the most dangerous, th- in, <laughs> right? So dangerous, I don't know, creature known to man. I, yeah. I forget what the exact phrasing mm-hmm. uh, was in this one piece that I read. But it was sort of like bringing it back to, bringing it back to, you know, um, uh, the idea that women in Stepford Wise were sort of used uh, to portray this idea of, you know, uh, the cult of finer womanhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, the and they're compa- sex slaves as well. I mean, they are sex yeah. literally, that's exactly. what they're um, groomed to be. It, 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 and comparing that to Get Out, right? It's just, it's all, it's body play when we talk about it, right? Tanahasi Coates talks about you know, the black body and how it hasn't belonged to um, uh, that person, yourself in in centuries and is ever since coming to America, that kind of thing. And so I don't know. It's just there's there's so many devices that uh, Jordan Peele just uses to to push along the plot. But to all of them are far too deep. Right. The the beauty of um, the separate wives is that you could suspend the idea of reality for a moment because you know that this might never happen. The issue is, <laughs> get out. Could happen. Yeah. <laughs> it could, yeah. Right. And and in some yeah. ways, eugenics. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the idea of using black bodies that is a thing that's in our history. This is this is why it's too real. Right. It's it's the horrifying piece about this is that it's it's reality. Preston, yeah. if uh, we've I've you know had, held most of this conversation speaking as if Chris and also the Lakeith Stanfield character are really the only black people in the movie and the friend mm-hmm. but obviously there are two very important black characters yes, at the house I know you're going and at. they're uh, I wrote down <laughs> at least Betty Gabriel as Georgina and Marcus Henderson I think as, she did a great job, as Walter yeah. what what did you think of those characters and I don't know how do they fit into like this world that Peel was creating for you um it, they were the creepiest characters <laughs> I've seen in the movie, uh, especially the maid, yeah. uh, Georgina. Yep. Um, and I think she was just well done. Just her mannerisms, her demeanor, Such great like yeah. yes, it was it was great character development. She really played that role to a T, and it was nothing. It was just way back, like in 1950, 1960 era. I'm thinking. Uh, back when it was just like the black maid taking care of the house. And I love how the, the fact that the father was like, okay, I know what you're thinking. White family, black servants. It's nothing like that. Our grandma. <laughs> and he, said, he says it looks yeah. bad, right? Yeah, That's what he's concerned about. Yeah. He's like, oh, this doesn't yeah, look this, good. But, look good. but it's not good. <laughs> that it doesn't <laughs> it's look not good, good at it's all. Like, but I mean, the... Uh, um, Oddly enough, Georgina is kind of the source of like the horror in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. That whenever, she, whenever she, whenever Georgina, she's Peele the reason why I went to go see the movie. Really wanted yeah. to. Oh, really? 
Oh, I mean, well, because of the scene where the no, 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 exactly. No yeah. Chris goes, I, I get kind of nervous around too many white people, and you know, she she breaks in that moment, mm-hmm. and a, a tear escapes her, and she, no, 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 no. That was the reason I went to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Peel? I mean, obviously, this is a like slow burn of a horror movie. There's a lot that I was able to watch without my hands covering my eyes, mm-hmm. and probably fifteen percent where I watched with my hands covering my eyes. But that fifteen percent. <laughs> always had Georgina in it. And I wonder, I mean, what you, what do you think about that decision to have like the horror elements of the movie so like perfectly coincide with this character? I mean, is she like, she's been destroyed as a person. I mean, she's completely just like leveled as an individual human being is co-opted into this this space. But let me, I mean, Mercy, what do you think of this? Like the horror elements, like the genre elements coinciding with the one black woman in the movie? I was going to say, Let's also point out that she is the single black female character in the mm-hmm. in the film. She is. Um, and I mean, I, I think it it's problematic for me in a lot of ways because I don't think that black women are often portrayed in a great light on um, television and film. But I also think that, you know, this character really just played the heck out of the uh, I'm sorry, this uh, actress just played the heck out of this character. Um, there was a moment that was really triggering that moment where she starts crying, you know, and that that tear escapes her that that's a triggering moment for me, even the idea that like, I want to relate to you right now. And we we then we later understand, I think they call it the underplace. Mm-hmm. Um, we then understand the uh, sunken place, the sunken Sun- place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, uh, that, you know, she uh, spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, this is a spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, we then understand that, you know, the 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 black person who used to be Georgina is pro- is forced to watch her life be played out and lived out by, Ugh. you know, effectively a body snatcher. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it being this like background spectator and, um, you know, we understand that Georgina may have come to the surface for that quick moment mm-hmm. and wanted to empathize and wanted to identify with him you know that it, i don't know it was just triggering for me i don't even, i don't have anything more intellectual to say about that moment it was just incredibly triggering for me yes in my opinion she was the most hurt brainwashed victim yeah. because i think she had a more closer relationship of oh, spoiler alert to the girlfriend at mm-hmm. the time and she was just fighting her demons but yet it, the body snatcher character was just so connected she couldn't escape it and she was trying to give the guy signs i mean especially with the phone unhooked and just like the random staring trying to give the person signs at least chris some signs that something bad's gonna happen leave especially with the guy running randomly oh i figured out where that was what what, what was it why or where why uh, Do, let us spoiler know. alert. Sure. Yeah, All right. Ahead. So we understand that <laughs> that uh, he the Jesse Owens race. exactly. Mm. Yeah, okay. he was replaying the grandfather's uh, replaying the Jesse Owens race. Uh, okay. Right. And he's, now he's embodied the exactly. black body. Like, he can be Jesse Owens. He can and be himself. Jesse Owens if he wants to because <laughs> because that's all black people. Are. <laughs> is that like the failure of integration right there? Our unity does not mean harmony. I don't know. Oh, man. Right. Exactly. Uh, we we only have uh, a minute left, and okay. I want to ask both of you like. Um, clearly we all like this movie a lot. Mm. Is this, uh, it's impossible to tell what's going to happen next, but is this like signaling a trend, like a new direction that horror movies are going to go Ooh. in a new race conscious cinema that we have to look forward to? I hope everything's a little bit America? more conscious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. let me go press in. Like, what are you, what are you like looking forward to now after seeing get out? Are you like, do you have, I don't know, are you approaching movies in a slightly different way, horror movies in a different way? You. I am. Standards um, I'm happy we're going more of the more thinking horror movie mm. than just slash slash gore gore blood everywhere and just a whole plot that you don't really understand. Yeah. So I'm happy we're going in that direction and hopefully it leads to more stuff not just about race but go to with women go with mm-hmm. um, different other types of origins go mm-hmm. with other different types of nationalities mm-hmm. not just you know the whole white versus black demographic or gender binary. Exactly. Or, yeah. mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's a great route and I think it's a start to a whole new beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you drop an ounce of race into any situation, it changes the dynamic. Um, and I hope that we drop an ounce of um, just intersectionality into everything, so that the dynamic is is not as um, white centric as you know we're used to it being. Um, but I also hope that this isn't um, the ultimate direction. For one reason, it feels like it has the potential to be exploitative. 
Mm. You know, like I, I, I don't want the story or the trauma that black people typically feel to be exploited. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just, it it has the potential. And I think halfway through the film, I was just like, I just feel exploited now. I feel like, (laughs) you know, our, our vulnerability in the suburbs is being exploited for entertainment. And I, I I hope it doesn't go that way, but I think an ounce of intersectionality can go a long way in anything. As yeah. as the the white guy in the room, this is something that I said <laughs> after Hidden Figures, after we spoke about Moonlight, I've spoken. I am not your Negro. You do not need to be black to see this movie, right? In fact, you probably should. If you're white, you should probably be going out and seeing this movie right now. This right. is not a movie for one particular demographic and mm-hmm. audience. This is one. It's a legitimately like very well made <laughs> horror movie really and really scary movie. But this is something that we like as Americans have to think about and have always had to think about. Right. But this is one way into conversations around. Like the, you know, it's kind of asked as a joke in the movie, but the state of like African-American life in 21st century America, (laughs) like this is this movie, I think, helps us as an audience, like get a bit closer to understanding however horrific it may be. I mean, yeah. And I think that I think, you know, I've I've been saying this phrase a lot more recently um, that, you know, especially for my white friends, I don't need you to know more about me. I Mm. need you to know more about yourself. Right. And I think that this movie is um, a good uh, way to kind of get there. Mm. I think that's the perfect place to end. Mercy Quay is the founder and organizer of the Narrative Project in New Haven and Connecticut's managing director of external affairs for Educators for Excellence. We look forward to three more titles the next time. (laughs) And Preston Wilson is a producer and radio show host at Ugly Radio. Very quickly, where can listeners find out more about what you do? Is there like a a blog or a Facebook page or something that you want a radio show? You go to Mercy and then Preston. Yeah, sure. So you you can find the Narrative Project on Facebook at facebook.com slash the narratives, plural. Mm. And Preston, where can people listen or find out more about uh, your your involvement in all stuff cultural criticism? Definitely. Um, you can find me on Joe Ugly in the Morning, reading the news from 6 to 9 a.m. on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. Quick little shameless plug there. <laughs> and also I have a show with uh, Marshall on the Joe Ugly in the Morning show. Uh, it's called The Indie Come Up from 5 to 7 on UglyRadio.net. So stay connected with that. You guys are the best. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's time for us to get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find a complete archive of Deep Focus shows at deepfocusradio.com. And we'll be back next Thursday with another conversation about movies in New Haven.